Well, we are in the third week of this series, Slow Invasion, and today the question, as Howard Thurman poses it, is how do I propose to get what I want? Um, Seems like an odd question. I phrased it even different. What am I willing to do in order to get what I want? Because I think that's where we are oftentimes. How far am I willing to go? What am I willing to do? And we're going to look at that. But first, if there are a couple kids who are willing to get within six feet of me and want to help me with something, we're going to do a little recap. And if no kids come forward, I'm going to make my children come up. Anna, can you come here? Come here, Bubba. Anybody want to help? I could use a few. Sure. You want to bring your cards up here, Anna? Awesome. Don, you want to be inner child? You want to come help? Awesome. Okay, here's what I need you to do. In the first week, we began talking about who am I, right? Those of you who were here, we talked about this idea of who am I. Can you come here? And we talked about how Howard Thurman used the idea of Who am I is not a question we ask alone, but it's a relational question. So kids, here's what I need you to do. I need you to grab onto my arms and not let go, okay? You can grab this arm or this arm. You can spin, that's okay. Anna, don't let go. Grab tight, like we're wrestling. Okay, you're losing. Here's the thing with, as he talks about this question, when we try, don't let go. When we try to figure out who we are, and we have these relationships. We have to figure out how to let go, right? And in reality, in relationship, it's not just them who are hanging on, but it's us hanging on. You want to play too? It's us hanging on. And so we walk through life like this, trying to figure out who we are. And it's really difficult work when we're committed to Christ to do the work of separating ourselves from who people say that we are, but staying in relationship, right? Does that make some sense? Where I want to stay connected to you and you want to stay connected to me. And the only way or the easiest way we know to do that is by locking in and saying, you are who I say you are. But that's not it. We stay in relationship with one another, not by holding on like that, but by saying, you are who God says you are, and I choose to stay in relationship to that person. Okay? Thank you. Applaud for my, my helpers. Here. Okay, I'll keep the green one. So it takes some real work for us to rip away. I mean, that's what it is. To rip away our identity from who other people say that we are, but yet remain connected to them, remain in relationship to them, is, it's difficult work, right? Can anybody agree? Yes. We just, some of us were talking about it earlier, where somebody knows us as who we used to be and freezes us, takes a snapshot of that moment. And that's who we have to remain. And there's some real emotional reasons for that, because that's the person I know. And if you changed, I don't know if I matter to you anymore. And I don't know if, if we're still friends and I don't know if we can get along. 
I think that's part of the strain and the pain of this season politically and all of these things is parts of people are emerging that maybe changed or maybe are just now being vocalized. And it freaks us out. You're not who I thought I was or you're not who I said that you are. And can I still remain at the table? That was our idea in Galatians together, right? So week one of this was who am I? And we have to do this work of no longer being defined by who others say we are, but only being defined by God. And then as we're committed to God, there's the second question that we looked at last week. What do I want? And most of us don't even know what we want. Most of us adults don't even know what we want. It's okay if kids don't know. But as adults, hopefully we mature into knowing our desires, knowing what it is As I love God, what do I want to see happen in God's kingdom? What do I want to experience with God? And again, we have often let other people answer that for us. What does someone else want me to want? What does someone else want me to be? And the other thing about that is when we ask, what do I want or what do I need? That means we're opened up to what it is that we want. And that could be kind of vulnerable, right? At the end of the sermon last week, we talked about opening up a wound that's infected. But once it's open, it's open and we're vulnerable and we're sensitive there. It can be painful. Maybe what you want is an expression of God's kingdom, this ache that's inside of you. Maybe maybe it's something that we need and we're now being invited to ask God for. And it's something that that we need that we're a little embarrassed that we need it. Not because it's something wrong or shameful, but because it's something extremely honest. So you you all know I moved a few months ago. Our family moved. And in this new house, I'm very spoiled. I have an office that has a door. (laughs) But I have like, that is my hideaway. Not from my family. But that's like my hideaway to just go be honest with God. I can be honest with God anywhere. But there's something for me about having a space with the door, with my books. My books are some of my best friends in the world. And so I go hide with them. I just go experience God and it's different. I used to have one a long time ago and I, I gave it up and I thought maturity would be not wanting that again. Or not needing that. And then when God gave me this door, again, it's not about keeping people out. It's just something about I can go in there and pray or cry or be angry or be excited or whatever, but it's just God and me and my books in there. He answered a desire that I wasn't even awoke to the idea that I needed or wanted. What are those deeper desires that you have? What is it that you want? And then the question for today, often for us becomes, what am I willing to do in order to get what I want? Once I'm aware of what I desire, often we want to like microwave that desire and get it immediately, right? If I realize, uh, there are days in our old house where I realized I really wanted or needed a door and a space. And on those ugly days, I would like hide out on my porch and like snarl nearly because I was overly needing just ultimately like a prayer closet, a place to go away, a place to be honest about being an introvert. 
Sometimes we'll do a lot to get what it is that we want. And that's what Howard Thurman has us asking here. How do I propose to get what I want? And so if you've got a a physical outline or your virtual outline, the verses are written there. And we're going to start by looking at one way that people in, in Scripture tried to get what they wanted. And uh, we're, I, think, I think we'll be able to relate. We're going to start in Exodus 16, verse 4 and 5. So at this point, the people of God had just left Egypt. They had crossed the sea. They're thinking like they're, you know, they, they're, the, what they wanted, what they needed was the promised land, right? And we know if we've read scripture a fair amount, we know that there was a more direct route that God could have brought them where they could have more quickly experienced the promised land. But God chose not to do the quicker route, instead brought them into the wilderness, which uh, doesn't seem like there's a lot of food there. I mean, unless you know how to like pick out the right kind of mushrooms, I, I just don't picture a ton of food. And in this one, it's more like deserty. It's not like there's deer running around. They're just in an open plain, right? And they're needing food. And this isn't like one family that's camping and didn't pack enough. This is an entire nation that left and left quickly. In verse 4, we see that the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And in that way I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. Okay, so they need food. And these are people who have been enslaved for their job. Theirs is more literal. Some of us know a little bit figuratively what that's like. There are plenty of employment opportunities in this in this country that that feel a bit like at least when you're on the clock you belong to them they own you right so they're used to that type of work and here they are where they wake up open their tent and outside is manna every day and god says that i in that way i will test them so this makes me think of a of a command a commandment that you may recognize as well. Deuteronomy 6, 16. God says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massah. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, yet here God's testing the people, right? So this command, what is that about? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's more than God it's more than just saying God gets to do what God wants to do and don't challenge him. It's more than saying Matt's behind the closed door. Don't knock on the door. It's not that type of thing. What's behind this. And also where is Massey, right? Like that's what I want to know when I see something like you did in Massey or however you say that I want to know where is it? And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, This idea of testing in the Bible, I think we need to know what's going on with this. Where our English Bibles write the word test. Like the first passage where God says, I'm going to test them, or where it says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. 
I want to invite you to flip the word in your brain because there's a more accurate word for what the Hebrew word means. And the word is train. The the word that's more accurate to the real meaning is train. So what God is saying is I'm going to train them, these people. I'm going to train them. So here's, here's why it's relevant that people do not try to train the Lord their God. This is what Gentiles did. This is what the surrounding nations did. We've talked a lot about how they had lots of gods, right? They had fertility gods and warring gods and agricultural gods and uh, all, all sorts of deities, right? They could go worship at all of the altars. And what would happen at the time is all of these lots of gods, families would go and offer sacrifices to that God and try to train the God to be a good household God. They chose who their household deity was whose shrine or altar they would have in their home, and would say, that God responded the way that I want that God to act, and so that is now my God. You see, they saw God's character as fickle and changing, and so they had to train God, like maybe you would train a pet, or you would train a Pokemon, this big, vicious, scary thing. You try to get it to do what you want it to do, right? And that's what the culture did. People went around and tried to train God. And God says, don't don't try to train me. Don't act like my character is in response to how benevolent you are. I'm on changing. This covenant that God has with you and me is not because we're holding up our end. This covenant is because he will not break the covenant. This covenant is because God said that God is faithful, and so God doesn't change because, well, God doesn't change. Some of the ways in which God works change, and this is confusing for us, some of the ways in which God works change throughout history, throughout our lives, but it is so that his character can remain the same, so that I can consistently be faithful and loving and just, patient. I will change the means because the end is I will keep my covenant with you. Because I want you to be my people and I want to be your God. And so here God says, do not train me. I'm not trainable. I'm holy. I'm other. I'm distinct from these lesser gods. It's kind of like what I've, I've told my, my kids on my uglier moments. I, I don't work for you. You ever have those moments as a parent? Amen. Like, hey, hey, wait a minute. You can ask me for whatever you want. But as soon as you act like you're training me, I don't work for you. I don't. That's a little bit what this is. This good providing God says, ask, seek, knock. Continue to ask, but don't act like you get to train me. You see the difference there? Yes. And that's what we have in... In chapter 16, the very first thing that we looked at, God is training his people. What is he training them out of? Well, they were slaves. They were always lacking. They had to earn everything. And their everything that they earned was nearly nothing. And so God was training them that he was good, that the world didn't have to work that way, that there was enough. 
And so when they opened their tent doors, they looked outside and food was waiting for them on the ground. All they had to do was like, go like this. And actually, if you look deeper at the, at the text, if they gathered too much, it equaled the same as the person who gathered too little. God just made all of that work because measurements don't measure, matter. No, that's not what he was doing. What mattered is that they were able to see that God was continuous, dependent, faithful, consistent. So for six days, you go outside and you gather. And on that seventh day, you don't have to gather because you got it the day before. And if you try to take too much, it's going to rot and have worms. And that's disgusting. Is that to punish? No, that's to train. You don't have to squirrel away too much. And if you took too little, well, God makes it last. Because God has a way about God. You see, they wake up to manna every day, and he was trying to train them to trust God's character. But this place, Massey, is in the very next chapter after after the whole manna thing. The very next chapter, this entire nation of people are, they're thirsty. Right? And they've seen food just appear everywhere. They've seen supernatural things. They've seen water divide. So like we sang about in that song, so they could walk like it was a highway. And yet all of a sudden they get real nasty with God. They tell God to give them water. That's a little different than asking, right? And then he says, why did you bring us to Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They're questioning if, if God has this fickle character. If God changes, frankly, like we do and like these lesser gods did. And, and here's where we pick up in verse, verse four. So Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. Picture that. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. He strikes a rock and an entire nation drinks out of the water fountain coming out of a rock. Moses did it and inside of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa or Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested God, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And God's saying, Don't don't try to train me on this. Just ask the question. Lord, are you here? Are you with me? That's an honest question. But trying to manipulate and trying to act like God works for us, that's a different deal, right? And so God gave them water out of the rock. And this water wasn't the concern. And this, don't, don't get me wrong, this isn't about asking nicely or saying please. It's not about a formulaic like, hey, we've got to do it right. It's just recognizing God doesn't change. Right. And so we don't have to try to train God to be changed to do what we want God to do if we test or train God well that just doesn't fly and so we get back to our question how do I propose to get what I want I am now committed to God being defined by God I, uh, this desire this need within me 
is arising. I'm, I'm being able to put a name to it. And now I want that. How do I get what I want? You don't get it by trying to train God. That's not the way to go about it. By questioning God's character. That doesn't work. It's also not just by working hard. Here's, here's the quote by Howard Thurman that is in your bulletin. If the commitment in itself becomes more important than what I'm committed to, or in other words, if the means becomes more important than the end, then I'm prepared to be quite blind to other consequences. It is possible for a man to make an idol of commitment. Let me make this real specific. I love this church, right? I get to be a part like many of you, of starting this church. I believe that the kingdom of God will be better as one church becomes who one church is supposed to be, but it would be very easy for me to make an idol of this church. It would be very easy for me to put fake conditions on God as if God is faithful and good if certain things happen in this room or in our Bible studies or in our bank account or in one of these things and God is not good if other things and that that desire comes because I believe in the church and I believe in this specific church because I believe this is to be a part of how the kingdom is experienced in this world. This is a great community to learn of the faithfulness of God for me, but this would be a horrible idol or a horrible God. And I don't think it's just me who's wrestled with that temptation sometimes. And whatever our commitment is, whatever ministry or whatever facet of the character of God or whatever we need or want, that relationship, that experience, that healing. How do I propose getting what I want? I believe that the way that we do this is we actually stay closer and closer to God. And we hold what we want tenderly in front of us, hands open. And we continue to ask, and we ask together. These little portable prayer walls, they're tiny. But the, the goal and the hope of it is if you come 10 minutes early to church, go, go, to the, go to the prayers and pray them with people. That each week we write more and more on them. And, and maybe even as you see God answer one, write, write that on them. That these just become ways that we experience God and a commitment to God together. So before I close, three warnings as we open to desire. It's very easy to love our goal more than we love our God. It's very easy to love what it is that we want more than we love God. And, and that's... Well, that's just another way of training God, right? And so open up to desire, open up to what you need, but hold that in front and let God speak to it. Another thing that's just real honest, it's really easy to use other people. It's really easy to manipulate other people for our goal, for what it is that we want, what it is that we desire. At the beginning, the, the little kids were, were hanging on me, right? That's a lot of our relationships with each other is, is we say this is what I want or this is 
who, what you want, who you are. If that other person is still in that spot, it's really easy to say, you are somebody who now is consumed with what I desire. And who you are as a person is someone who helps me. Now, it's good to allow each other to help. It's good to be open about all this, but we don't want to hook one another with that type of thing. This quote isn't on the sheet, but it's again Howard Thurman. A man may be so fierce and unswerving in his commitment to what is clearly to him the kingdom of God in the world that he does all kinds of violence to his fellows in his pursuit of it. I love this church and I'm committed to this church and this is where I have experienced God in these deep ways, right? But it's not right for me to walk up to every other person and say that that has to be gospel truth for every other person as well. I want everybody to experience God and if it's here, that's great. We got room. But for me me making that their ideal, that's not fair. It actually does violence to them. We're going to talk about this a little bit in our Sunday night school tonight. Actually, we're going to look at all three of these questions in a little bit more depth and in more dialogue if you're interested. And the last one is don't get caught into comparing with other people. Hopefully in this community, some of these prayers that are listed get answered quick. Hopefully the desire we open up to leads to deeper desire and we see God's faithfulness over and over again. But where we'll do damage to one another is if I see God move in your life by meeting your desire and, and yet I'm still holding mine here and I think that means that you're better than me or that God loves you more than me or these types of things. That, that's just dangerous grounds, right? Let's instead be encouraged and inspired by who God is in one another. Let's hold to community. Let's hold sacred what it is that God's inviting us into so that we might be more committed to him. Amen? Amen. All right, let me, let me pray for us.